Thanks, everyone, for being out. It's great to be out with you tonight and to look at uh, things from God's Word that will hopefully help us to be uh, more pleasing to Him in the future than we've been in the past and as we strive to understand His will for us and do it in our lives. Well, on Wednesday night, we um, began a series of lessons about how to understand God's Word. Because we want to be able to go to God's Word and understand what it means for us in our life and what God wants from us. This is an important message from God. And it is important that we understand how to discern what God wants from us as we read from His Word. And we began that study on Wednesday night, and I'm looking forward to continuing that. But in that study, we mentioned in passing about Cain and his sacrifice that we read about in Genesis chapter 4. This morning, or this evening, I want to talk to you about that sacrifice and what we can learn by looking at Cain's sacrifice. You know, there are a lot of lessons from Cain's sacrifice that we can learn. And the Old Testament, as David just read for us, is written for our learning. If you ever stopped, David mentioned this in our Bible study this morning, have you ever looked at the volume of the Bible, the Old Testament versus the New Testament, the Old Testament is a big portion of the Bible. More than, more than half of the, of the Bible is the Old Testament. It's really, it dwarfs the, the size of the New Testament. And that's interesting because we know very clearly by reading the New Testament, the Old Testament is not our guide anymore. We're not bound to the Old Testament law. For example, over and over again, we read about circumcision, how circumcision is not binding anymore. We don't keep the Passover anymore. We don't offer animal sacrifices. We don't keep the Feast of, of Booths anymore, or the Feast of Tabernacles. We don't do that because that has been nailed to Christ's cross. Nailed away. But why did God preserve that? Think about the number of pages here and the amount of paper and ink that has been used throughout time to record this. Why is it in our Bible? Well, David read for us in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, that the things that are written aforetime are written for our learning. We learn invaluable in lessons by looking at the Old Testament and looking at how God dealt with people in the past and what God expected from people in the past. And we can learn how he, he will deal with us today and what He expects from us as well. We learn invaluable lessons from the Old Testament. And one of the lessons that we learn is that we need to have God's approval for everything that we do. Throughout the Old Testament, we read about people who did not do what God wanted of them, and we see how God viewed that and how God responded to people who disobeyed what He wanted them to do. We want to live a life that's pleasing to God, and as a result, we need to know what God wants from us so that we will be pleasing to Him. It gets down to Bible authority. And having authority from God's Word is vitally important to our faith. God has told us what He wants, and He expects us to submit to His will. And this principle goes all the way back to the beginning. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden. God told them what He wanted. They didn't do what He wanted, and they suffered as a result, and they were punished. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And we'll find out tonight that God told Cain and Abel what he wanted from them as well, and they did not comply. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4 with me quickly as we start our lesson tonight. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, as we see the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. 
and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And so it goes with Cain and his descendants and the result of his sin. So what do we know about Cain's sacrifice? Surprisingly, we know a lot. And you may look at this account and say, well, there's not really a lot of information here. I want to tell you there's a lot of information about Cain's sacrifice and a lot of information we know, can learn about God and how he deals with people by looking at Cain's sacrifice. But before we begin, we need to establish one foundational principle that we're going to look at throughout the lesson tonight, and that is that God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice. Look back in verse 4, Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. God was not pleased with what Cain did. God liked what Abel did. He was not pleased with what Cain did. And so there's some important lessons for us this evening. First off, God wasn't pleased even though this service was offered to him. God was not pleased. Look at verse 3 of Genesis chapter 4. This sacrifice that Cain made was directed to God. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering to the, of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Why is it important that this sacrifice was to God? Because there are a lot of people who say, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do it to God. You can do whatever you want, but call it service to God and God will be pleased with that. You can worship God any way that you want and just call it worship to God and God will be pleased with that. Have you been around Nashville long enough to know about the church on the north side of town in Madison that does all kinds of shenanigans in their worship services and calls it worship to God? They have indoor fireworks in their worship services and call that worship to God. 
they bring in a bull riding ring and they ride bulls in there. I believe it's that church. If it's not, it's the others that they do bull riding in their worship to God. And they are happy and they think it's wonderful that they're doing this. Several years ago, someone visited that facility at one of their worship services and wrote an article in the Tennessean about it. And he said it resembled like going to like some or arena for some kind of basketball game. They were like selling, you know, um, uh, refreshments and, and handing out T-shirts and all this stuff. And they call it worship to God. And there are people who want to say if you put a stamp on it and call it worship to God, then it's okay. Cain's worship was to God, but God wasn't pleased with it. A friend of mine that I work with was telling me about a man who was coming to his church who was a fake healer. He claimed to work miracles, but they were obviously fake. And he told me about some of the things that he was doing, and, and I looked it up on the Internet, and, they, and it was well known that this is a, a fake and a sham, and they told you exactly how to do it to make it look like you had recreated that miracle. And, and I told him, I said, you know, how do you know that this guy is really doing miracles. He says, well, he gives the glory to God. He does it to God, so it's got to be good. God's got to accept that. Cain was worshiping God. God wasn't pleased with it. Over and over again, we see this mistake being made. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's on the screen, and the print might be a little bit small if you want to turn to your Bibles. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now it came to pass, verse 1 beginning, when the king was dwelling in his house, this is King David, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? David is sitting in his nice palace, and he gets to thinking, and I can understand why he's thinking this way. He said, look at this nice place that I get to stay in. But the Ark of the Covenant is still in this tent that we had when we came out of Egypt. We still, it's still in a tent. We can do a lot better than that. Let's build this uh, elaborate building for God, a temple, and it'll be wonderful. And I'm sure lots of people would have signed up and said, David, that's a great idea. Why didn't we think of that earlier? Let's do it. And let's go all out. Was God pleased with that? They were going to do this for God? They weren't doing it for Baal or, or any other false god. They were doing it for Jehovah God. They were going to build this nice building. But God says, wait a minute. I didn't ask for this. Notice what he says there in verse 7. Have I ever said to anyone, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God says, who asked for this? God wasn't going to just say, well, they're going to do it for me. I'm going to be, I'm going to be flattered. I'm going to be really honored. It's going to be great. No, God said, I didn't ask for it. Don't do it. David was going to go all out, but God wasn't pleased. 
If all that matters is we're doing something towards God, then God should have loved that idea from David. But God hadn't told David that's what he wanted, and God didn't want David doing it. Cain teaches us that just because we're doing something towards God doesn't mean that God's going to like it. Not only that, God wasn't pleased with Cain's sacrifice even though it was a sacrifice. Back in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 4, it came to pass in the process of time, it came to pass in the process of time that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. This was a sacrifice. Why was it a sacrifice? Well, because we know that Genesis 4 comes after Genesis chapter 3. And what happened in Genesis chapter 3? In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. And notice the curse that was put on the ground as a result of Adam's sin. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Have you ever planted a garden? It takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Back when Nikki and I had just gotten married, we lived in town in a little bitty house, and the yard was almost as small as the house. In fact, the roof of the house overhung our neighbor's property line. It was that small. There was no place for a garden. And we sort of had the idea that we'd like to have a little garden. And there was a man in the church who had a lot of land outside of town, and he was a widower, and he was very lonely. And when we mentioned to him that we might like to have a little garden spot, he was so excited. And he went out there with his tractor, and he tilled us a big place, a huge place. Now he made two places for us to plant seeds in the garden. And we were so foolish. We thought all you needed to do was just go out and put a seed in the ground, and you just go out and pick the fruit later. And we put some seed in the ground. And he was so excited when we came out. And we went out one or two times, and it was soon just overgrown with weeds, and we got nothing out of that. Because gardening, producing a crop takes a lot of work. And God said in Genesis chapter 3, it's going to be the sweat of your brow. And no doubt Cain had sweated a lot to get this crop. And he offered it to God. He made a sacrifice. There's no way around it. God, he made a sacrifice, but God wasn't impressed. And you know, when you give something to God, there's no guarantee that there's going to be more. Whatever Cain had taken to God and sacrificed him, there's no guarantee that he'd get any more after that. Nikki and I got a little bit better at gardening. We're no, no means master gardeners now, but we got better at that, and we like to plant a garden. And a few years ago, we had a nice stand of green beans out there in the garden. I think this was before the kids knew that they didn't like green beans because they probably would have gone out there and hoed them all up if they knew we were planting green beans now. But... We had a nice stand of green beans. And one Sunday afternoon, I was out there, and the, green, the beans looked wonderful, and they were ready to pick. And so I went inside. I told Nikki, I said, Monday morning, tomorrow morning, before, we get, before I get up to go to work, before I go to work, let's get up early, and let's pick those green beans. And so we did. Monday morning, we got up, and we went out to pick the green beans, and they were all gone. The only ones that were left were the ones that the deer had left that had fallen out of their mouth, and they were laying on the ground. No green beans. There's no guarantee. And so when Cain went out and he picked that harvest 
and he brought it to God. That may be the only harvest he gets, and he's living off this. This isn't just a hobby. He's living off of this, and he's giving it to God. What a wonderful sacrifice. Surely God would be pleased with that. Cain had been sweating to produce this, and he had given it to God. What he could have used for himself, he gave it to God, a sacrifice. Surely God would say, thank you, that's wonderful, but he didn't, did he? God wasn't pleased, even though it was a sacrifice. God wasn't impressed. I'll tell you, we can be tempted as well to think that if we're making a sacrifice, then surely God will accept it. He didn't accept Cain's. What makes us think he would accept ours? Have you ever known someone who didn't really live all that holy of a life? But when certain things happen, maybe have you heard about Lent, the Catholic holiday? Have you never ever known one, someone who was a Catholic who really just lived however they wanted to live all their life, all the year? But when Lent came around, they gave up something trivial and thought, well, if I'm sacrificing to God, he'll be happy with that. Cain isn't the only one in the Bible who made a sacrifice to God. And God wasn't pleased with it. Look at 2 Samuel. This is too long to put on the, on the screen. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. Let's begin reading in verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. 2 Samuel 15, beginning in verse 1. This is when Saul... It's 1 Samuel 15. Thank you. 1 Samuel 15, beginning verse 1. 1 Samuel 15, beginning verse 1. Not 2 Samuel. Saul is given the instruction to go kill the Amalekites. The Amalekites had attacked the Israelites on their way into the promised land, and God is punishing them for that. And Saul is told he needs to punish the Amalekites. Samuel said to Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, so Samuel gathered the people together and numbered them in Telam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. What's he going to do or what's he supposed to do? Kill all of them, right? Go on with me. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart and get down from among them Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed. From among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel. Indeed, he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul and said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. 
I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you stoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Then Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord he has also rejected you from being king. Saul was given the instruction, you go and wipe them out. Saul did not go and wipe them out. Saul spared the best. And why did he say they had spared the best? Because they wanted to sacrifice to God. Aha, a sacrifice to God. Surely God will be pleased with that. He wasn't pleased, was he? God wasn't pleased. Just because you may call it a sacrifice, or maybe even because it is a sacrifice, does not ensure that it is pleasing to God. And Jesus said the same would happen in his time. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 beginning. Notice what Jesus says about some people who were going to be making some sacrifices in service to God, but they weren't going to be acceptable to him. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? There are going to be people who say, we were doing a lot of things for you, Jesus. But what did Jesus say in verse 23? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus says there's going to be some people who thought they were serving me, thought they were making sacrifices for me, and I'm not going to accept that. Cain thought he was serving God. He was sacrificing to God. He was making sacrifices to God. God didn't accept that. Just because we're making sacrifices to God doesn't guarantee that God will be pleased. And furthermore, we learn from Cain that God wasn't pleased because he did not make his sacrifices by faith. God had said what he wanted. Cain did not have faith in what God said, and his sacrifices were not in faith. How do I know that? How do I know that God had told Cain what he wanted him to do? Because Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 4 says this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, talking about what had happened in Genesis chapter 4, says this about Abel and about Cain. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, 
through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Abel had faith in offering his sacrifice. Abel did it by faith. This is interesting. Abel didn't have to sit around while he's watching his flock and think, now what would God like for a sacrifice? I wonder what God would like for a sacrifice. Cain didn't have to do that, did he? He didn't have to wonder. He didn't have to guess. He didn't have to say, well, I think he might like a sheep. I think he might like the, one of my first slings in my flock. I think that would be what God liked. He didn't have to guess. And when he offered his sacrifice, he didn't have to hope. He didn't have to offer that animal on the, sacri- on the altar and say, you know, I just hope that God will like this. No, God, Abel had faith that this is what God wants and God is going to be pleased with it. How did he have that faith? How would he have confidence that God was going to accept his sacrifice? Well, he had confidence because God had told him what he wanted. How do I know that? How do I know that God had told him what he wanted? Because this sacrifice was by faith. And notice where you get faith, where everybody gets faith. He, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God had told Cain and Abel what he wanted. Abel then could have confidence that if I do this, God will be accepting it. He did it by faith. Cain, on the other hand, didn't sacrifice by faith. Cain knew what God wanted, and he didn't do it. And he didn't offer it by faith. Abel could not have had faith without hearing God's word. And we don't have a record for, of it in what happened prior to Genesis chapter 4, but somewhere along the line, God had to give them instruction on what he wanted in order for Abel to do it by faith. And this is important because God has told us what he wants from us as well. In, Second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning of verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. God has revealed His mind to us. God has told us what He wants from us. And we don't have to guess. We don't have to hope that God will be pleased with what we do. No, God has told us. God has told us what He wants. He's revealed it to us in His Word. Now, this is different than a lot of other world religions. A lot of other world religions tell us you got to climb some mountain. And you got to find some wise old sage who will tell you what this life is all about and how you need to live your life. And it might involve, you know, sitting cross-legged and humming or whatever it may be. But you got to search far and wide and you might be able to crack the code. It's a mystery. You might be able to figure it out. You might be able to find some wise old person who would know what it is. But chances are you may not. No, God's instruction is in His Word. And it's understandable Abel understood what God wanted from him. And we can understand what God wants from us as well. 
God's instructions to us are understandable. They're not in a code. They're not in a riddle. They're not so hard that you can't understand them. In fact, Jesus said we could understand what God wants from us. In John 8, verse 32. John 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I can be free from sin. I can be pleasing to God because I can know the truth, and the truth is going to make me free. I can understand it. It's not in some type of mysterious code. It's not something that I can't understand. I can know the truth, and it will make me free. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God has given us a command to understand His will. He wouldn't tell us to understand His will if we couldn't understand it. We can understand His will. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he may know to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. When we read this, we can understand God's will. We can understand God's will, and we can act then by faith, like Abel did. Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. We can direct our lives by faith, by knowing this is what God wants from me. Not guessing, not hoping, not just sort of rolling the dice and hoping it all works out. No, I can live by faith because I can understand God's will. But if God's word is his will for us, and if it is understandable, then I want to tell you we have to give ourselves to understanding it. We need to be diligent in looking to his word so we can understand what he wants from us, so we can be pleasing to him. We need to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Bereans were more noble or more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. The Bereans were committed to go into God's word so they could understand what God wanted from them. They didn't take someone else's word on it. The apostle Paul was the one bringing them this word, wasn't he? And they didn't say, well, I know his credentials. I know where he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. He must know what he's talking about. And he's been traveling all over the countryside preaching this. It must be right. And a lot of people have been following him. He must be right. They didn't even take the Apostle Paul's word on it. No, they took what he said and they compared it to what God had given them in his word to make sure he was telling them the truth. We need to do that as well. We need to make sure that we're going back to God's Word so we understand it, so that we can do it and be pleasing to Him. I'll tell you, there's a real danger. A real danger in taking a person's word for something over what God has said. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus said, In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
There are a lot of people out there in the world who are going to tell us things that just flat out are against what the Bible says and 180 degrees opposite of what the Bible says. And sadly, a lot of people are going to be following that. Joseph sent me a video clip of a televangelist who was being put on the spot about his lavish multi-million dollar private jet that he had bought and some of the other extravagant things that he was doing in the name of Jesus and serving God. And the fraud is just so apparent. And yet he has the millions of dollars for the private jet. Why? Because people are taking what he says and, and believing it without comparing it to what the scriptures teach. We need to make sure that we're doing what we do because of faith, because we have read it in God's word. Cain's sacrifice was not pleasing because it wasn't done by faith. And so then finally tonight, what do we mean exactly? Or what does it mean exactly when we read that God wasn't pleased with Cain's sacrifice? Does it mean that this was just a preference? That God just preferred Abel's sacrifice over Cain's? That he, well, Cain's sacrifice was okay, but he really, really liked Abel's sacrifice better? Was it just a preference? Was it sort of like if you invited me over for dinner and you made carrot cake instead of chocolate cake? And I really would prefer the chocolate cake and not the carrot cake. Is it just something like that? No, it was a lot more serious than that, wasn't it? It was a lot more serious. God calls Cain's works evil because he didn't do them by faith. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. This was not just a, hey, I sort of like this one better than the other. No, God says that Abel's sacrifice was righteous and Cain's sacrifice was evil. That's how serious this is. That's how serious it is that we do what God wants us to do that we act and live by faith, knowing that this is what God wants and submitting to it. When Cain disregarded God's instructions, God says that Cain was acting in an evil way. Even though he was doing something towards God, even though he was making sacrifices, God says he was evil. And this is true of us as well. If we don't go to God's Word and make sure that everything we do is in accordance with His will for us, He'll say the same thing about us. Back in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 again, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not everybody, that's me, is going to heaven unless I submit to the will of my Father in heaven. He goes on, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Does it sound serious to you? It sounds serious to me. We have to be submitting to God's will. Souls are going to be lost, like Cain was lost because they do not submit to God's will. 2 John verse 9 says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. 
We have to be like Abel. We have to know God's will and live by faith in submitting to it. Cain's sacrifice teaches us a lot. Cain's sacrifice teaches us that God isn't going to be pleased just because we do something and call it service to him. God isn't going to be pleased even though that may require sacrifice. He's not going to be pleased unless it's done by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, verse 17. The just shall live by faith, Hebrews 10, verse 38 says. The just shall live by faith. Do we have a little bit better idea now of what faith and living by faith requires? It requires that we know God's will and that we submit to it. It's not just a mental assent, but it means that we're going to live by the dictates of God's word. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, we read about Jesus and those he's going to save. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, And having been perfected, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Cain's sacrifice underscores the importance of knowing God's will and submitting to it in our lives. The question for us all to consider tonight is are we submitting to God's will? Are we given to studying and learning that will and doing that will? Have we submitted to him in every aspect of our life. If you're here tonight and you've not submitted to him, or maybe you've fallen away and started living like your old man again, can we help you do better? Can we help you tonight? If there's any way we can help you, will you let us know while we stand and sing?